And today we're kicking off a brand new teaching series called Beg. Say that with me, Beg. Turn to your neighbor and say Beg. All right, I want you to get this, all right? And Beg stands for, repeat this, repeat after me, belong, equip, go. So we're going to be talking through what it is to be a part of a community where belonging, equipping, and going takes place. Because all along throughout our ministry season, we said those are going to anchor us as we go forward in this next ministry season. And so we want to continue to be focused in on that, especially as we're approaching the mid-year point as far as when our ministry season started. And one of the ways that I want us to be able to do that is to hear from people in our community beyond just me. I'm, I'm going to be a part of this series, but I want us to hear from other voices within it. And the reason why is because if we're going to truly live this out, it's not going to be an individual that's going to live it out. It's going to be a community. Amen? Okay, so it's going to be a community. It's going to be a community doing it together. And so one of my good friends who is a professional counselor, who is someone who served in a variety of ways here at Riverbend, along with his wife, started a ministry called Safe Place that is really in a lot of ways an extension of the work of Riverbend. He's going to be sharing with us today because as we are getting this idea rolled out to the church, one of the things he said to me is, this really has spoken to me personally. And before we jump into the nitty gritty of belong, equip, go, he's going to talk to us really about how do we have a posture to actually enter into those spaces. And so at this, I'm going to invite my good friend, Tom Miller, to the stage to share with us. He's part of our teaching team as well. Let's give it up for Tom Miller. It's Miller time. We're excited. And so as he's up here and getting stuff sorted, I wanted to take a moment to pray over him and to really remind us again of the power of community and believing that God is at work. And we want to prepare our own hearts because as I've been talking to people over this last week and even today, it's very clear to me that we all are carrying a lot. And I want to make sure that we have space, even in all that we carry, to enter into the rest that Jesus provides. It's not a rest that avoids what's going on out there, but it's a rest that allows us for this moment to say, you know what, I'm going to put that here. I'm going to put that on you so I can hear what you have to say to me. And so I want to just pray a blessing over time, but I also want to pray for us that we'd have ears to hear, ears to hear what God wants to speak to us this day. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for my friend and brother, Tom Miller. I'm so grateful that he's part of our teaching team, part of the church here, thankful for the work and the ministry that he does here. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would go before him, that you would speak through him in a mighty and powerful way. But Lord, we know that part of it is you speaking through him, but part of it is our availability to hear from you. So would you give us ears to hear? And so right now where you're sitting, I would just invite you to pray a simple prayer that goes something like this. God, I'm available. Please speak to me. And then to the person to the right of you, to the left of you, just to pray a simple prayer. God, would you speak to them today? Would you speak to them? Lord, we know that we're all in a season that has been marked with a lot of joy, and I'm, I'm sure there's been a lot of hard as well. And Lord, I pray that in that, we would know that you come near to us. Help us again 
to have ears to hear, a heart that's humble, and it comes to you to enter your rest, to do the work with you as we work alongside you. Spirit, have your way this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Let's give it up again for Tom Miller. Good morning, everybody. Can everybody hear me okay? Uh, Sam Dean told me I had to do a Britney Spears with this, so um, I thanked her for that image that was not a pleasant one. Uh, Sam, I'll try not to get my red lipstick all over the mic here. Uh, it is totally an honor to be with you. Um, those of you who know us, Beth Ann and myself, we've been here since 2012. So we kind of go way back. There's, there's plenty of others of you who go back further than us. Uh, but this has been our home church since 2012. So we've done a lot of different things um, just in sharing and being able to minister, as I'm sure all of you have. Uh, if you haven't had that opportunity, I want to encourage you to look for it. I really want to encourage you to look for it. Um, it's my sincere belief that everybody has a gift. Everybody has a set of gifts and talents and skills that God has uniquely placed within you. Um, so if you're like me, I'm going to talk about my anxieties in just a second here. If you're like me and you're a little bit anxious about serving, um, I just want to say, do it. Do it. Don't look back. Uh, there's there's going to be fear. There's going to be trepidation. There's going to be times when you do not know what you're doing. <laughs> but God's going to meet you. God's going to meet you in those times. Um, those of you who have been here for a while, you also know that, that Beth Ann is usually with me when I speak like this. Obviously, she's not here today, uh, so she usually helps to keep me in line. Um, today, I'm going to have to do that. That's all on me. So, uh, sorry, honey. Uh, she might be watching from the Dominican Republic this morning, so um, I say that. Shout out to her. Um, many of you do know, if you've known me for any length of time, you know that I deal with this thing called social anxiety. And social anxiety is uh, something that comes out in certain social situations, like um, standing in front of a crowd, <laughs> talking to people, and being in places where I don't really know people all that well. Uh, that's where it comes out. I sometimes have this, this nagging feeling and some people hear it like a voice, and some people just experience it, not just in their minds, but they also experience it in their bodies. Like there might be shaking or quivering or different things, that you know, uneasy stomach, all that kind of stuff. And it can go beyond just nerves. It can go beyond that. Um, here's the way it, it kind of hits me. It says things like, you're going to mess up your words. Or you're going to forget everything that you wanted to say and you're gonna look foolish, and people aren't gonna like you. So prayers are appreciated this morning for that. Uh, this is not to make you feel uneasy. If you do, if you feel compassion for me, that's great. I, I, I welcome that, um, but it is to, to really point out our humanity. Uh, so I am, a, like Joe said, I'm a professional counselor, and I get to speak to people uh, day in and day out and I get to know a lot of different people and to understand them. Um, I, I totally find people fascinating. I love getting to know new people. Uh, when I was getting to know Beth Ann, one of the things I told her is that I want to go around the world, get to know every single person, and sit with them for like a half hour or three, if they're interesting, and 
I, then I want to move to the next person. I love meeting new people. It's something that God has put inside of me. So when I'm sitting with people, I get to hear all of their unique qualities and characteristics and their personalities, things about their upbringing, uh, think about, things about their cultural histories. I get to hear what they've been through, and I get to hear about what they have actually survived, things that they have experienced. And as we talk, this is, this is why I like this so much, as we talk, I get to see a little glimpse of God in every single one of them. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. The fact that for all of us, while we are on an imperfect earth, where Jesus himself told us, you're going to have trouble. There's two things that are going on at the same time. We have the uncertainties of the what-ifs. You know, well, what if the economy crashes? What if I lose my job? What if this? What if that? And at the same time, we also have a God that is alongside of us and that we can feel his presence. We can feel his pleasure. And we know him. We know that he's near to us. Those aren't just words from scripture. Those are not just words on a page. There's something that we feel deep within our soul, deep within our spirit. One of the things I do as a therapist is I work with people to help them overcome their anxieties. And to me, this is very challenging and it's very interesting work because as I get to hear their stories and their experiences, and we might talk about a lot of different things, what they've been through, but even sometimes we talk about clinical symptoms. We talk about things that, that I can look back in a big book and I can say, okay, there it is. There's the diagnosis. I can pinpoint for them and with them why they feel the way that they do. But there's something else that is happening at that time, is that uh, I'm getting to see their soul. I'm getting to hear a piece of their soul. And as we work together, it's, it's becoming more and more clear that some people, sometimes they know exactly what they're afraid of. They can name something. They can remember a date. They can pinpoint something particularly. They can tell a story. And that there's times when people really don't have any understanding of what they're actually fearing or what they're afraid of. It's not clear to them. Um, the work that I do with them, I consider it sacred because it does enter the soul. And I want to define what the soul is for you. Uh, I believe this is from scripture. The, skull, the soul has three parts. It has the mind, and that's the thinking or the awareness, we might call that the cognitive part of us. And then we also have the will, which is the want to or the action-oriented part, what we want to do about something. And then we also have the emotions, the third part. And that third part is how we feel really about the first two or how we feel about something that has happened to us. Uh, a lot of times, um, I'll just step up on a soapbox for a minute. A lot of times, uh, psychology and counseling gets a bad rap. Um, the word psychology, if you break it down, it actually has uh, two parts to it. It has the word suke, or psyche, which is Greek, and it actually means the soul. So, and then there's, you know, 
ology or logos, or which is, means uh, truth or the studying of truth, to understand something. So psychology, I didn't know this until after I started studying it, and it, it really uh, just kind of verified who I was and how God made me. Um, it literally means study of the soul, the mind, will, and the emotions of the person. So um, when I'm talking with people about their, their fears, it's not until they understand what their fear actually is, till they understand what they're experiencing, till they can identify it. Then, whether it's clinical or whether it's something else, you know, something that, that has been traumatic or something that's happened to them, um, it's not until then that we identify what that fear is that we can start to work on, okay, how do we step that down? How do we make that livable? How do we reduce that to where you can go about your everyday life? Um, can somebody give me a definition or an example of fear? Just yell it out. Something that you're afraid of or fear itself. What does that mean? Heights, okay. What else? What's something you're afraid of? Death? It's a biggie. You know that, that bigger, than, bigger than death? It's public speaking. <laughs> okay, okay. What else? What else? Are, what are some other things that you're afraid of? Failure. That's a big one. Okay, what else? Being wrong. Ooh, that's courageous just to say it. Okay, all right. Not having control. Huge, huge. And I, I'll leave it to you guys to kind of think through why that is why we fear when we are not in control. Okay? I'll just leave that one with you guys. Um, most times people have a negative connotation of fear. But today we, I want to talk to you about a different kind of fear, and it's a kind of fear that drives out all other fears. Uh, when I'm talking to people, and sometimes when I'm just looking at my own life, uh, a human tendency is revealed. And that human tendency is to push other things away and to use diversions. I want to give you some pictures of some diversions right now. Here's a diversion. Can you go to the next one? This is from a website entitled Dogs and Cats That Fail at Hide and Seek. Okay, and I'm obviously going for the Sunday morning awe oh, factor here. Uh, but this is what we do. At the core of our human nature, this is what we do. Robin, can you go back a slide? We think we can hide. Okay, I love the German Shepherd. We think we can hide, and we hide just like this. Don't we? We hide from God, we hide from our problems, but this is literally how God sees us. We think we're hiding because our face is covered. I'm going to say that again. We think we're hiding because our face is covered. Our awareness is covered. Our perception, with our mind, our perception is that we are covered. 
So whatever we're trying to hide is also covered. But in reality, just like a pet before its master, as you see on the screen, we're in full view of God. He sees all and he knows all. So in these uncomfortable moments right now, when we're thinking about our own hiding, uh, we can tend to be timid and we can feel afraid and we can feel that someone is going to see our failings. And there's a word for that. We feel exposed. We feel exposed. This goes right back to the garden, right back to the garden. And so what do we do? We numb ourselves. We use things and sometimes we use people in order to make ourselves feel better. And then we feel another compounded emotion. In counseling, we have a word for that compounded emotion. We call this word shame. And shame comes when our fear, when we have a fear that something is fundamentally wrong with me. So when I deal with social anxiety, um, one, you know, I have these messages that contact me from my brain, contact me from my body, and it's telling me something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. So what I've learned to do, even before I fully understood what it was, and I could put a name on it um, that I got out of this big book called the DSM-5, which discusses and describes and defines mental disorders, before I could even do that, I realized I'm actually thinking through this while this is happening. I'm actually realizing what is happening as it's happening. So something's, this might, must not be a legit fear. This must not be real. I call shame a compounded emotion because we feel it after we try to get away from an unpleasant feeling. Like what these animals are doing, and uh, like we do too, we feel this after what we've done isn't working. We still feel guilty, or we still feel an inability to uh, adequately cover ourselves. But this is less than ideal, obviously, because, uh, a little quote from Brene Brown here, we can't numb the hard moments without also numbing some of the joy. So what that means to me is in those moments when I'm trying to cover everything, cover up, you know, make it so you can't see me, which obviously all of you can right now and I'm very aware of, but when I'm trying to do that, um, I might also be missing something else that is intended for me, that is good. I might be missing relationships with others. I might be missing an opportunity to share with all of you. Um, so we hide because of fear. But my question for you is, is all fear bad? Here's some questions to help us figure that out. Is there a place for fear in our lives? Simple question. Does fear serve some kind of divine purpose? So fear is a human emotion. God gave it to us with intent, by design. What is that design? And then the last question is, what is the proper placement for fear in our lives? I want to recommend three books to you if you are at all 
interested in this topic, the fear of the Lord and the proper fear of the Lord. The first one is Intimate Friendship with God by Joy Dawson. Um, that book probably came out in the late 70s, early 80s, so it's been around for a while. Uh, the second one is called There Were Two Trees in the Garden by Rick Joyner. Really, really good read. Um, and then the third one is more recent, much more recent. It's called Jesus Over Everything by Lisa Whittle. And I want to propose to you this morning that the ultimate cure for fear and anxiety is fear. If that sounds contradictory, that's okay. Uh, we might ask ourselves, how can something that is unhealthy, that makes me feel uneasy or awkward or afraid or even shameful, how can that also make me feel safe or empowered or seen? As we're going to see, the answer comes when we take that fear and we put it in the proper place. And here's the first stop on our journey to doing that. Is we're asking a question. And the first question is, are we self-reflective? In psychology, one of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying to understand human behavior. And a lot of people get freaked out at that and scared, you know, well, you're trying to read me. You're just a shrink. You know, and I, I get that. I get that. But another way to look at the definition of human behavior is just understanding why we do what we do. And a lot of times, we want to know that. We want to understand it. Everything we do, we do for a reason. A lot of times, it's to get something, to bring something closer to us, or it's to repel something, to try to push something apart, push something away from us. We can do this with our thoughts, with our thinking. We can do this with our actions, or we can do this unconsciously with our automatic beliefs things that we just believe, and we keep moving. We go on, but we haven't stopped to really examine what's happening to us. Uh, the way that we kind of take some time and examine this in psychology or in counseling is through a big word called metacognition. And metacognition is very simply thinking about my thinking. It's taking time to understand what is actually happening here. What is this process that's going on? It's looking at questions like, hey, I've noticed that when I do this, that always happens. Or I always feel like, fill in the blank, when I'm in this type of situation. Or I always feel like this is going to happen to me. Or you might, even, you might even know people who say things like, this always happens to me, every time. Or they might say something like, I always go to this substance or to that habit to make myself feel better. And as I said, metacognition removes the person from the equation, and it tries to move the emotionality from that and try to look more at the process. So what keeps us from doing this? What are some things that keep us from entering into thinking about our thinking? Sometimes it's pride. You know, I don't need to do that. Sometimes it might be fear of being found out or being exposed. You know, it's extremely vulnerable, sometimes for me too, to sit in a counseling room with somebody 
or a couple and, or a family and to hear some very private issues, some very private matters, that can be a very fearful thing. It can be a very scary thing. One of the things I, I try to do, and I often tell uh, the people that I work with this, is that I want to honor you. I want to honor and, and respect you as an individual. I hear what you're going through. This is confidential. This stays here. This does not go anywhere. I believe God gives us that same level of respect. So I want to encourage us, if you do share intimate things about yourself, things that are concerns or fears, measure who you share that with. Pray. Ask God for guidance when you do that. It's very important. So scripturally, how do we do this? How do we take time to contemplate not in an overly absorbed or a totally absorbed kind of way, but in a realistic and a humble and a hopeful way. I like maps. Does anybody else like maps? Okay, okay, you know who you are. You map people. Um, what is there on a map that helps us to determine how to accurately use that map? A compass. And what does a compass do? I hear rum, 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 rum. You, you said points to direction. Okay. So a compass shows a true north. And by that true north, we can then measure all the other directions. So yes, it does tell us, it can help to us to, to know where we are, but it can also help to tell us where we're going. So here's one of God's roadmaps to help us to learn how to fear him. This is Psalm 40. And this is a very popular psalm. U2 uh, actually made a song 40, is, uh, is, refers to this psalm. So I want us to say this out loud on three. One, two, three. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you plan for us. None can compare with you. So let's look at the process of what David is actually doing. What's the first thing David is doing here? He's waiting. David is waiting. How many like to wait? Okay, none of us like to wait. So he is patiently waiting on God. We're not told what he's doing while he's waiting. We're not told how long it takes, but he is waiting. And then we're told that God eventually hears him. How awesome is that? God is saying, I see you, David. You have my attention. And I, don't, I also don't know what God was doing before he came to David. Maybe he was listening to somebody else. Um, maybe he was traversing the universe. Who knows? Scripture doesn't tell us. 
But let's consider something else that David was doing. We know from the Psalms that David was a worshiper. And here's a, a little side note. I used to think to myself when I was in church, and sometimes I still do this, sometimes this still happens. When you're hearing the word, you know, after you've had worship, and everything just feels right. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you have that feeling of peace. Like there's this feeling of, okay, God is here. I am in the presence of God. And I often wondered, okay, what is the difference between that moment and my regular Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and all day Sunday? What, what's the difference between those two things? And the answer is, um, God inhabits the praises of his people. God inhabits the praises of his people. So when two or more are gathered and we're worshiping, he is there. He is pleased with what he hears, both individually and corporately, I believe. He's very pleased, and so he inhabits. He comes. So David did this. As he waited, he also worshiped. He also worshiped. David was giving praise to God. He wasn't just uh, experiencing God's touch and presence, but he was also telling others about it. While he was waiting, he was worshiping. And the third thing that David was doing in the psalm is he was telling us what a right relationship with God looks like. Not looking to the proud or haughty. Not turning aside to false gods or idols. Acknowledging the power of God over our power. Esteeming God in his right, actual place. Above everything. David wasn't just in the psalm. He wasn't just making declarations, although he was certainly doing that too. He was taking a certain heart posture. He was affirming that God is supreme among all gods and among all men. David was rightly self-reflecting and taking a look at himself in light of God's glory and taking the rightful position of a subservient, sub means under, so he was a subservient, but a seen and loved creation of God. Subservient. He was under, but he was serving what was above him. That's a key if you want to step into or you want to enter the fear of the Lord, is to be subservient to him. Recognize our relationship to him. You know, we have a lot of creative power that God has placed into our hands. We can make music. We can write stories and books. We can be popular. You know, social media makes that possible. Anybody can be a superstar these days. But are we recognizing, okay, we're under and we're serving. That relationship never changes. That relationship never changes. Here's something else to remember as we're being self-reflective. 1 John 4.18 There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I used to really worry about this verse, and I used to think, okay, God, if there's any ounce of fear in me, 
how can I be perfect? How can I be in your love? Because I'm afraid. There's something within me that is still afraid. And I don't know if this is scripturally accurate. Joe, you can check into this and let everybody know later on. But I think one of the, the better ways to interpret this is that we are not yet made perfect. We are not yet made perfect. Here's something else to remember. If we get stuck, and this can happen to any of us, if we get stuck in our thinking or our words or our actions, and we're insisting, whether we're aware of it, that we're doing it, that we're insisting on this, or it's something that we're just doing kind of unconsciously, insisting that things end up exactly as we want them, we're going to miss out. We're going to miss out on the better that God has for us. Why is that? Is that because God is rude or arrogant? Or is God saying, my way, my way, my way? I don't believe it is. I don't believe it is. Only God is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. Only God is omniscient. That means he knows everything. Only God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at all times. We are not any of those things. Nor could we ever be subservient to him. So that brings us to the next, the next point. And the question is, for that point, are we surrendering? Are we surrendering? There's a quote that hangs in my office, and Robin's going to put it up on the screen here. Anybody know who said that quote? Any guesses? Robin, you can let them know. <laughs> so when I heard this, when, it was a couple years ago, Joe. When, when Joe shared this, I was like, yes, that's it. That's it. This helps my clients to know, hey, you're going to feel awkward when you first start this. When you first start to look at change. When you first start to examine what it is you want to change, why you want to change, what you're afraid of, what you're dealing with, what you're trying to uncover from, out from under, you're going to feel awkward. It's okay. It's okay. Um, thankfully, God gave us an entire lifetime. I, I see that more and more as... Recently, Beth Ann's mom just passed away, and in a pretty awesome and beautiful way. Um, she got to say her goodbyes to all of us. And it was, so, it was so peaceful, even though she was having trouble breathing, she still had a sense of humor. She was still sharp. She was still herself. But that just put the exclamation point for me who, you know, I'm now over half a century old. And I realized more and more and more when I would get upset with myself and impatient with myself is God has a lifetime to perfect us. Let's look at another example in understanding the fear of the Lord. First Chronicles 29. This scripture is from when... Uh, the Israelites were 
about to rebuild the temple. And I'm just going to read it real quick. Uh, It's quite a long passage here. David blessed God in full view of the congregation. Blessed are you, God of Israel, our Father from old and forever. To you, O God, belong the greatness and the might and the glory, the victory, the majesty, the splendor. Yes, everything in heaven, everything on earth. The kingdom, all yours. You raised yourself high over all. Riches and glory come from you, your ruler over all. You hold strength and power in the palm of your hand to build up and strengthen all. And here we are, O God, our God giving thanks to you, praising your splendid name. But me, who am I? And who are these people that we should presume to be giving something to you? Everything comes from you. All we're doing is giving back what we've been given from your generous hand. As far as you're concerned, we're homeless, shiftless wonders like our ancestors. Our lives are mere shadows, hardly anything to us. God, our God, all these materials, these piles of stuff for building a house of worship for you. And if you read this story, it was quite a pile. It was quite a lot that they were collecting to build this temple. All these pile, this pile of stuff are building a house of worship for you, honoring your holy name. It all came from you. It was all yours in the first place. I know, dear God, that you care nothing for the surface. You want us, our true selves. And so I have given from the heart, honestly and happily. Once again, David is giving a powerful example of what it means to be under submission to the Lord. He was the powerful leader of the nation of Israel, but he was also humble and self-reflective. And he's a leader who is submitted to God. Our father also wants to refocus our desire from our requests to him. He wants to hear our needs, but most importantly, he wants to have relationship with us. In counseling, one of the greatest tools we have Uh, to help people with overcoming anxiety and depression is the act of gratefulness. And that is simply um, one of the things that I do is a simple exercise to have people list three things every day that they're grateful for. There's literally a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, a schedule, and they can write down, they can journal. They can actually do the act of writing in, which is, is a discipline And it involves a part of our body, not just our mind. Helps us to get out of here. Um, But they can do that in the morning when they first get up or at some point at some time in the morning. Or they can do that in the evening when they're reflecting on their day. I'm very, very convinced that this is actually, gratefulness is one of the things that holds Beth Ann and my marriage together. Is that we say thank you for the little things. Thank you for doing the dishes. Thank you for taking out the trash. Thank you for making that phone call. It is something that um, validates who the other person is and doesn't take them for granted. Just saying thank you. So a question I have for you this morning is, are we listening to God or are we trying to command him? So many times I've prayed, 
You know, I'm sure we've all done this. God, walk with me today as I, blah, 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 blah. As I go through my day, as I go to school, as I do this, as I go shopping, as I raise my kids, as I, as I, as we, we say, God, please bless me and please go with me. What would we do if God ever answered back to us and said, I'm not going that way. That's not in my care and in my love for you today. Are we listening enough to say that? Are we subservient enough to do that? And to, say, to ask, okay, what are you doing, God? What are you doing, God? What, where can I join you today? Where can I partner with you today? Here's another um, stop on the roadmap to understanding the fear of the Lord. Um, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. That is Psalm 19. Uh, I learned that when I was probably a junior in high school. And I had this fear of trying to memorize scripture. I was like, ah, can't do that. ADHD brain all over the place. I'm, I'm not able to. That is something that's very difficult for me. But it was a simple verse. It was a simple verse. And it, it spoke about, okay, God, let my heart be right. Let my heart be right with you. And here's how. Here's how. I want to realize, you know, where I am in position to you. So that scripture that I memorized, that comes back to me every now and again. And when I'm in a moment where sometimes there's something that, you know, a choice A or choice B and one is better than the other, one is higher than the other, you know, that's something I pray to myself. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O rock, my redeemer. My rock and my redeemer. So he is stronger than me. He understands. He gets it. But he's also a strength that is there for me. The last point on our uh, journey to understanding the fear of the Lord today is this question. Are we suffering? Are we suffering? Um, recently on 60 Minutes, Robin, you can put that slide up. Thank you. Recently on 60 Minutes uh, was a story of Helena Lehova. And this woman was appointed by President Zelensky with the task of rebuilding the town of Kherson in southern Ukraine. So effectively, this lady is the mayor. And this, uh, during this story, you got to see her doing all kinds of things and interacting with all kinds of people within this totally bombed out, burned out city. Her staff works completely underground. She travels in a, an armored van. This other picture that you see, that's her house. Because the enemy, once they found out where she lived, they came and destroyed her house. That's just one room in her house. So she does work to manage power outages and to give aid distribution and field multiple other crises. Um, if you see the clip on 60 Minutes, it's not, it's not all cute and pretty. She's not behind a desk. She's literally going and sitting down with people with pen and paper and getting their needs, understanding what they need, 
and then making the connection to bring aid to them. This is a quote from her. It's dangerous, but I have to do my work. I have to help people. It's my duty, so I do it. What courage. What courage. Um, A lot of times we are faced with things that we did not choose. Situations that are not of our own design. We don't desire to have them. Um, We would rather not be experiencing them. But this is one picture of the best of humanity. I, I really encourage you to watch the story. Here's another example of overcoming. This is a, a quote by Beth, Bethany Hamilton. Um, many of you probably know her story from the movie Soul Surfer, if you've seen it. She lost her, her arm in a, a shark attack, but she continues, she continues to surf. Me? I got to be honest, I don't know if I'd go back out there. (laughs) I don't know if I would do that. But I appreciate her courage. I appreciate her fearlessness. You see, suffering is not just so God can keep us down. I'll say that again. Suffering is not just so God can keep us down. He's not trying to keep us in a box. He's not trying to keep us confined. Trials actually come our way to perfect us. That's a hard lesson, one I'm still learning myself. I once had a pastor who used to say it like this. He would say, if you fix the fix that God fixed to fix you, God will fix another fix to fix the fix you fixed. Um, Anybody need me to say that again? Uh, So if you are Texan, maybe you understand that a little better. Uh, the word fixed means to, you know, to repair or to do something. So what he was saying is, you know, God has your number. And if you constantly avoid hardness and pain in order to get away from it, remember, we do everything to get something or repel something. If you are constantly avoiding something that God is trying to use to perfect you or to make you more into the image of his son, you're going to get that lesson again. You're going to get that lesson again. Take it from someone who understands, who knows. Uh, In fact, God cannot stop. You know, you may remember hearing me say this before. God cannot stop making you into the image of his son. If he did, he would cease to be God. He cannot stop. The power, the onus is on him. It's his responsibility. We bear some responsibility in it, absolutely. But he's going to keep hounding you. And it's going to be for a good purpose and a good reason. He loves us that much. Here's a couple of scriptures that I believe can, can prove this out. Romans 5, 1 through 11. Um, I may not read all of these, but I'll let you kind of look at them. Please feel free to take a picture of them. Delve into them. Really, really good stuff. Uh, Next one, James 1, 2 through 5, and verse 12. Next one, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. 
last one, 1 Timothy 6. I don't know if you had time to read those or to peruse those, but just from those four scriptures, we can see God is very generous with us in the face of trials, in the face of things, hard stuff that comes our way. He is very, very generous to us. Suffering, we have a wrong picture of it, I think, especially here in America. Um, Suffering is really a pathway to blessing because we know that our God loves us. Does that mean, okay, I'm going to pile everything bad I can on myself? No, that's not our intention. But when we trust the living God who brings things into our lives for his purposes, we can know that he's doing it to perfect us. He's doing it like you would find a diamond in the rough or you would find a ruby or an emerald. You know, we wear stones on our fingers. Um, Do we ever think what this stone went through to get to our finger? If you dug it up out of the ground, chances are, unless you're a mineralogist or whatever the word is, you wouldn't even know what it was, right? These stones are broken down. They are cut They are polished. They are ground. They go under great care and intentionality in order to get to your finger. I invite you to think about that next time you look at a ring or somebody else's ring and you see a precious stone on their finger. What I want to leave you with today um, is an example of how David talked to his soul. We have many, many, many different references to this. Uh, Here's three within the Psalms. Psalm 42, Psalm 61, and Psalm 103. These are all examples where David talked to his soul. He didn't just believe the things that were going on in his mind. He actually talked back to his soul. He actually encouraged himself with what he knew of the Lord. The Lord's faithfulness, remembrances that the Lord had done in the past, things that were written in scripture, David rehearsed and brought those things back into his mind. So when the things came at him that were hard and tough, he would talk to his soul. And here's one of the ways that he would do that. 131, Robin. Um, There's a wonderful, wonderful song by a band called Waterdeep that is a perfect representation of this psalm. We can't play it because of copyright reasons, unfortunately, but it is free on on YouTube. Um, Please look at it and watch it worshipfully. This is the words of Psalm 131. You say these with me. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high for thee. I do not think on things too great or marvelous 
or matters too difficult for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. And I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child within its mother is my soul within me. O Israel, trust in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. O Israel, trust in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I want to encourage you, if you have um, things that you are trying to get past and you don't know how to, or if you experience anxiety like I do, or fear, or depression, look this up in Scripture, in your Bible, but also look it up online. It's a powerful representation of right relationship and proper fear, understanding the fear of the Lord. Um, Robin, can you put that last slide back up? We just celebrated Ash Wednesday. And in the Catholic tradition, this is one of the things that they tell each other or that the, the priest tells the parishioners as they come up and they get the ashes on the forehead. They say to each other, and this is a way of a greeting, remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Therefore, repent and be faithful to the gospel. Those references go back to Genesis that talks about we are of dust. And we are going to return to dust. This body, this Tom that you see, will one day cease to exist. But the only thing that's lasting is the gospel, is Christ himself. That is the ultimate expression of the fear of the Lord, is serving in right relationship. And that can help to do away with the fears that we experience. Father, I thank you so much for um, allowing us to hear your word today. And Father, I just thank you for times of self-reflection and also for surrender and even of suffering that we can grasp a hold of you being present with us in all of those things. Father, thank you for um, awareness through your scriptures and through your very spirit that speaks to our spirit. Father, I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters that these things would come back to our remembrances. That we would remember our right relationship with you, our subservient relationship with you, but also how faithful and good you are. Both are true at the same time. Both are true at the same time. Father, we praise you that even though we are dust, we come from dust and we will return to dust, that you are supreme and that we get to live forever. We bless you and we thank you for making a way for that to happen. In Jesus' name, amen.